Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. When you get an opportunity, check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. There's sometimes when I have to admit it's really hard to pray, and I struggle to pray. Uh, there are times where it's just, I'm just too distracted, there's too much going on, or maybe I hurt too bad, or I'm discouraged too bad, and just to somehow focus my attention and, and pray, I just find it really, really hard. Maybe I'm the only person in the room that struggles with that, but I... Let me start over. Since I am the only one in the room (laughs) who struggles with that, all right. Well, good, because this message is for me today and you guys just get to listen, so there, okay? I have a hunch, though, that uh, a lot of us have times where we're just too distracted or we hurt too badly or there's just too much going on or things are just going too smooth that we even, we just struggle to pray. And we wonder, even when we struggle to pray, if God really pays attention to us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever struggled with this. I thought, you know, my requests, they're not that important compared to other people. Other people have cancer. I'm just asking you about the rain. You know, I'm, I'm asking you about, you know, our vacation or our trip or whatever. And, and there are other people who are really, they need a job. So God, why would you listen to me? And the point that I think you and I need to grasp today, a a big point, is that God wants us to persevere in prayer, but we need his power to do it. We we need his help to really keep going in prayer. It's it's just too hard. There's just too many obstacles. We we struggle with our own weakness, as the passage that we're going to look at today says. We, We struggle with praying. And this is really important because our theme this year at church is, you know, God is on the move. And because God is on the move, we believe, the scripture teaches, according to Jesus, that, that God's spirit is like a wind that's blowing in this world today. And, and if Jesus is really blowing his wind and, and he's on the move, then, then how do we line up with him and get in sync with him and, and move forward? <clears throat> and we've likened it to the analogy of a sailor hoisting his sail. And we've talked about how, well, what are the things that we do to hoist the sail and catch the wind of God's spirit and make sure that we're moving along with him, that we're living in sync with him. And so just by quick review, we've talked about things like it starts with faith. Do we really hope in him? Or have we really come and are we believing and relying on him? And we, we also talk about thinking and, and making sure that our mind is being filled with God's word. Are we pausing and reflecting on what he says in his word? Do we, do we link up with other Christians? Do we recognize we can't do this by ourselves? And we need to join up with others. We need to gather and grow. And last week, we focused on the fact that this Christian life, this blessing of knowing Jesus and following him, everything that we talked about during the communion service a moment ago, all that Christ has done for us, it's not something that we just hold on to and hang on to and hoard to ourselves. It's something that we're supposed to go and share. We're supposed to go and share and and make sure other people 
know this and experience it as well. And so we talked about serving and lifting the burdens of other people and we all talked about also sharing the, the good news that we have, the announcement that Christ has died for our sins and rose from the dead and wants to give us the gift of eternal life. And, and we wanna share that with others. That's why that big three is so important that those are the people that we're praying for and thinking about and planning to share the good news with and help them come into the family of God as well. But you know, none of this will really happen. And, and really, you can go out and talk to people about the Lord and you could read your Bible and you could you know, do all kinds of stuff with other Christians, have good fellowship. And by the way, thank you everybody that came to help Don and Darlene up church move. We had about 25 folks from the chapel and every little pickup truck and trailer in, in um, you know, Adams County was over there helping them. And it was a lot of fun. And we had a great time and many hands make light work and it was easy peasy. We had a good time. And I thank you for that. Uh, you can do all this kind of stuff of serving and reading and you know, all that kind of stuff and still be out of sync with God. You can do all the religious stuff and still be on the wrong track spiritually. That's why prayer is so important. I understand that you, know, you can treat prayer like a ritual, a duty that you do. But if you understand that it's ultimately really connecting with God and talking with Him and speaking and acting and planning in harmony with God, then you recognize that prayer is vitally important. And we have to stop and ask. Stop and ask God to work in our lives and work in this situation because the burdens are just too big. The problems that we have are so heavy. The pain is so strong and, and we're so weak. We desperately need God to answer prayer. And so we're looking for ways that as a church we can be engaged in extraordinary prayer because these are extraordinary times. And the needs that we have and seeing these people come to faith in Christ. Can you imagine what it would be like if really over the next three months, those three people that you're praying for and I'm praying for that you're looking to witness to and I'm looking to witness to, what if they all become Christians? Wow. If they all did. Amazing. We're praying for that because God's on the move. God's working in our midst, but it won't happen unless we pray because God delights to answer in prayer. And that's a great privilege that we have to be able to pray. But those obstacles, those things that make prayer so hard, what, what do we do about that? How do we go with the flow and get into the flow of God's work in our lives? How do we do that? How do we line up with the, you know, live life in the spirit? How do we pray that way? Well the, well, the challenge for us is to understand that the Spirit wants us to pray and He empowers us to pray. In fact, really, the key point that I want you to understand today as we look at the passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 to 30, is that God's presence, God's presence empowers prayer. His presence in your life and in mine empowers our prayers. And so when we're weak, when we're discouraging, discouraged and we're struggling to really pray and ask God, it's the fact that God's own spirit lives inside of us as the children of God, he empowers our praying. Another thing I'll admit today, I'm probably the only one here again, but just, uh, you know, the whole idea of that I struggle to pray because I think I've got too much to do. I don't have time to pray. I gotta go do this. 
I got to pull, pull the trash can out. I've got to go make sure that the, you know, the cat litter's box is cleaned up. I've got to make sure that this is done. I've got to make sure that my lunch is packed. I've got to make sure that this phone call is made. I've got to plan this for church. I've got to do that with Dawn. I've got to do these things. Oh, I don't have time to pray. And yet, we're wasting our time unless we pray. And that's, that's the critical thing. But God wants you to pray because he wants to empower your prayer. He will help you pray. I heard recently about an elderly couple that was praying for missionaries with a uh, Bible translation organization and they were in their 80s and they were committing to each other to pray three hours a day for missionaries in that organization. And there was the one day where the husband and the wife were together and the wife said, I'm just so tired. I don't know that I can pray for three hours for all these missionaries. And the husband just gently said, well, come on, let's try. You know, let's not give up. Let's not quit. This is such an important ministry that we have. They prayed three and a half hours that day. Now, this is not about that you've got to go out and pray three hours a day. This is about understanding what God has done to make your prayers possible and to make them powerful. Whether you pray three minutes or three hours, God's presence makes your prayers powerful. And that's what I want you to see today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Now, this is on page 944. Page 944, if you'd like to use one of the Bibles from the chair in front of you, or look it up on your tablet device. But in this little paragraph, uh, this, is, this is such a powerful paragraph. It has one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. But we're not really going to spend a lot of time looking at that. We're going to focus most of our attention on verses 26 and 27. And then chapter, verses 28, 29, and 30 we'll look at at the very end because they're, very, they're important too as they relate to prayer. But I want you to hear what God is doing to make powerful prayer possible. What he does is he gives us the assurance of his presence no matter how discouraging times are. And we can pray powerfully because of that presence that he has within us. So this is Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give thanks to God for it. Amen. So in this passage, we see something that's very significant. He says that likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I think that that opening word kind of calls out for our attention and it's asking us, well, wait a minute, in what way is the Spirit praying for us like something else that's already going on? And, it, and it really what we need to do is just kind of zoom out a little bit and look at the whole chapter. 
And basically what we read in chapter 8 of the book of Romans is that God has given his spirit to help us grow and become more like Jesus Christ. In fact, the spirit is in our lives to empower us to say no to sin and yes to God. And beyond that, the spirit is also present as a guarantee that one day these bodies that are racked by sin and disease and death and brokenness, these bodies will be resurrected and glorified and become like Jesus Christ's body. In fact, the world that we live in, creation itself, is groaning under the weight of the curse, groaning because of human sin. It's so broken. And so when you see these horrific tsunamis in in Southeast Asia and uh, earthquakes and the violence and the warfare that's in our world and the terrible flooding from hurricanes and other disasters and, and even, even a lot of the, the environmental issues that are, that are going on. All of this, all of this, yes, it's, some of it's related to human choices, but a lot of it is just the breakdown of the environment that's as it ages under the weight of the curse, this world is falling apart and it groans out to God. And it's waiting for that day. It's like someone who's just struggling with a terrible pain or weakness or arthritis. And that elderly saint just goes, ah, ah. And you just hear it in their voice, that heavy, heavy sigh, that heavy, heavy groan of the pain and difficulty that they're going through. Or maybe they've struggled to get a job and they're holding their job and all of a sudden they get a pink slip and they're let go. Or there's a parent working to try to reconcile with a son or daughter and there's been a turn of events and, and now there's the, the rift between them is even larger. And there's just that groan, oh, when will it ever get better? When will this ever get fixed? When will these things ever be healed and straightened out? Creations like that. Our lives are like that. Our bodies are constantly telling us that things are falling apart. But the promise is, is that the Holy Spirit is inside believers and he is the guarantee that one day there will be a glorious resurrection. And it's not just your broken down body and my broken down body that gets resurrected and made brand new, but creation itself will go through a glorious renovation and restoration. And we're told that God will work in such a powerful way that all the broken down things of this world will be made right and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That's the promise that we have. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that guarantees that. That's the message of Romans 8. And so while creation is groaning under the weight and the burden of the brokenness of sin and curse, so our bodies are groaning too. In fact, Romans chapter 8 verse 26 is saying that the Spirit himself groans because of the weakness that we have. It says that likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Just as the Spirit is a reminder of the resurrection that will come, so the Spirit is present in our lives to help us today, to sustain us today, not just a promise off in the future, but right now, to give us the help and the strength that we desperately need today to keep moving forward and not quit. That word that means to help us, it means to come alongside and lift the burden, to come to the aid of someone in that way, to, to be there and assist them, to, 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 to approach and actually lift the burden and help them. And I, I had a good experience of that this week, a very positive experience. I was thankful that after church last Sunday, 
Uh, I was able to join up with two old friends and, and we, we took a short hike on the Appalachian Trail. We went from Boonesboro, Maryland down, to, down below uh, Harper's Ferry in Virginia, Keys Gap. And, and uh, we spent three days and we kind of took our time because we were the March of the Greybeards and so we were just kind of doing that and so that was our experience and, and it's really rocky and really rooty and it was a lot of fun but there was a lot of climbing, there was a lot of descending and, and it was a lot of work for you know, an old guy like me. And the third day, we had walked into Harper's Ferry and crossed over the Potomac and then crossed over the Shenandoah River and we were at the base of Loudoun Heights. And this is a part of the trail that's about a mile long and you've got to ascend maybe 800, 900 feet, something like that to the top. And of course the trail's up the top and there's no escalator and there's no elevator. And I remember thinking, what have I done? This is crazy. We're carrying these packs. I've got these two guys that look like they're spring chickens, even though they're, one's older than me and the other's just a year or two younger than me. And I thought, what am I, this is, this is insane. And I've already started to plot my strategy of how to escape. <laughs> what, what, can I, what can I do to get out of this? Uh, oh, you know, I got this twinge in my knee and I'm not sure, I better go back. You get to the top and you send the car back to get me. You know, I was, you know, th all these crazy things were going through my mind and, and we trudged off and we started going. And I gotta tell you, I'd have never gotten to the top without the help of my two friends. And you're probably thinking, what, did they pick you up and carry you? And the answer is no. They just kept walking and they kept encouraging. They walked ahead. There were a couple times where I couldn't see them around the bend. They were on the other switchback going up. But I knew if they get to the top and I never make it to the top, I will never live this down. I've got to get up there. I got up to the top just a few minutes after them and we celebrated. Just to, and we still had another four miles to go and that was hard too. But there was just something very thrilling about getting to the top and accomplishing something that was very difficult. But I could have never done it without the, the help of my friend Bruce and my friend Doug. Two guys who love the Lord, who were praying for me and encouraging me. It was a real spiritually blessed time together. Physically strenuous, but spiritually invigorating as well. And I could never have made it without them. Yes, along the way I was thinking about I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm in the will of God and I'm stuck. There's no way out. Lord, you gotta get me to the top. And I knew I could get to the top. It was just a matter of when. But I got there. And what God used was the help of that, those two brothers. That's a picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and mine. He's coming alongside to help you. He's encouraging you. He's strengthening you. I want you to think about this for a minute. Where is, where is God the Father right now? God the Father is on the throne of heaven. Where is Jesus Christ, God's Son, right now? He's seated beside his Father in heaven. Where's the Holy Spirit right now? He lives inside every believer. He's not seated on a throne in heaven, distantly removed from us. He's present within us. He's there inside us. And what is he doing while he's inside of us? This passage says he's praying for us. He's right there, God's man on the scene, so to speak, praying for you and praying for me, right there, present with us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And in case you're wondering, you are weak. Everybody else knows that about you. It's time that you admitted it too. All of us are weak. All of us are broken. 
All of us have hurts, habits, hang-ups. Quit denying it and just admit it. Especially admit it to yourself and admit it to God. We are all weak in one way or another. He says we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for us as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. In our weakness, when we're honest about that, that gives us the freedom to rely upon the Holy Spirit who's praying for us. See, when you're going through struggles, when you're frightened, when you're anxious, when you're burdened and you're in pain and you're discouraged, when you're going through those times, you're not all alone. Even if no other person knows about your situation, God's Spirit does and He's praying for you right now. You are never by yourself and you are never alone when you're going through your trouble. This is the first big thing we learn here in verse 26. First big thing that we learn when we're going through adversity, when we're going through life struggles, this is the first big thing that we learn about the Spirit's presence in our lives, why His presence empowers our prayers. The first thing that we learn is this, is that God is with us. He's with us in the midst of our suffering. He's not looking at us saying, well, I wonder how Scott's doing as he's trying to climb that hill. Hmm, I hope he gets to the top. I wonder how she is. She just got that bad diagnosis from her doctor and has to go in and have some biopsies done. I wonder how she's doing. Hmm, I really wish I knew. He got that pink slip at work. wonder how he feels about that. Wish I knew. God does know because he's right there. God sees it all. He's with us in the midst of it. I mean, this is the thing that's so unique about Christianity. Instead of a God who's so far removed and so aloof from us and our sufferings, God left the glory of heaven and descended into our world and he went through the grief and trauma and suffering of living a human life. And so Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be insulted and hurt and deprived. He knows what it's like to go through suffering. He went through the agony of being betrayed by his friend and he was rejected by his disciples and he was arrested and falsely accused and beaten and mocked, spat upon. And finally, they nailed him to the cross and he died there. He experienced the maximum amount of suffering that a human being could experience. He knows what it's like to go through what you're going through. The anxiety, the dread, the pain, the sorrow, the joy, the promise and hope. He experienced all of that. He went through that. He's with you. The Spirit's presence is a constant reminder that God is with you and He's praying for you. You're not alone. But as we keep looking here, you notice that it says that often we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit does. And how is it the Spirit knows what to pray for? Well, that's explained in verse 27. For He says, And He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. As the Spirit of God is present there in your life and mine, He's aware of what's going on. He knows the brokenness of our lives, the pain of our lives, the suffering that we're going through, the hopes that we have, the dreams that we bear. We, he knows all of that. He's aware of all that. And because He's aware of all that, He knows how to pray. Often we don't know how to pray. 
we don't know what to pray for. You say, well, I, I know what to pray for. I need a new car. I'm praying for a car. That's true. You do. I'm sure you know that. I'm sure he knows that too. But maybe the kind of car is not what he would pray for. Maybe he would pray for something better or something that wouldn't put you in deep debt or, or something that would kind of help you stay a little humble. <laughs> what, what, whatever. He, he knows what to pray for. He knows what you need. And he knows how to help you in prayer. Now, the thing is, it says that the Spirit's praying is like groaning. And again, we talked about someone that's going through suffering and just the, the times where the pain is so bad and the, the, the affliction and discouragement is so strong that all that they can say is, ah, a heavy sigh. And the Spirit prays that way. And He doesn't pray in language that's audible. He prays in such a way that the Father understands and knows what to do. Now, some people look at this and they say, well, this prayer, this groaning that's unspoken or in words that we can't comprehend, that must be tongue speaking. And I, I want to tell you, I don't think it is. I don't think that really makes sense in the context here. Tongue speaking was a gift of unknown languages that certain people were gifted that way in the early church and they were able to speak in those other foreign languages. They could do that miraculously without going to school or, or taking Rosetta Stone or something like that. But this is talking about every believer having the Spirit and experiencing the groans of the Spirit, the Spirit groaning for them. And it's something that God the Father hears. And so I don't think it's a gift that was only given to certain people. It's something that all believers have. And I think that is just indicative that the Spirit and the Father are in such close, tight-knit community with one another. They understand exactly. You know what it's like? It's like a child being so upset a little kid, maybe a toddler, and they get so distraught and they're so upset. Maybe they're hungry, maybe they're, they're, they're frightened by something, they're lonely, they just feel insecure at that moment and they just get out of sorts and they begin crying and they begin wailing and they're so upset, they're so wound up. And sometimes the parent has to go up and say, that's unnecessary, you need to stop right now. And they need to be a little stern to help the child get a grip on things. But every now and then you'll see a parent who's very discerning and very wise and they recognize, they just intuitively get what the child needs. They need to be picked up and cuddled. They're, they're hungry. They need something to drink. Oh, the diaper's wet. Huh, imagine that. They, they need to be soothed. They need some extra patience. They're frustrated because they don't understand something or they're over-sensory stimulated. The parent instinctively, a loving parent instinctively knows that. That's the picture of the father listening to the spirit who's praying for you and for me that even when we're asking for something, we, we, we think we know what's right. The spirit knows what we really need. And he prays for us. And he works through the prayers of the spirit. You see, the Spirit reminds us that God is with us, but He also reminds us that God knows us. The beginning of verse 27, He says, And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. I mean, Paul could have just written, God knows what the Spirit wants to pray for. But he didn't say that. He used a kind of mysterious 
kind of language there when he says, he who searches the hearts, kind of cryptic little language title there. Why? Because he's emphasizing the fact that that's what God does. There's nothing hidden from God. God knows everything that you're thinking, everything you're worried about, everything you're anxious about, everything you're proud of. God knows all these things, and he certainly, if he knows all these things, all these things about you, then he would know all these things about what the Holy Spirit's praying for. Nothing is hidden from him. So God knows the deepest desires of your heart that even though you're asking for that new house or that new car, he knows what you really need. You need reliable transportation. You need a safe and secure place to live. Something that won't get in the way of you knowing him. God knows that really you're longing for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to be married and really he knows what you really need and what you really long for is intimacy, to be close to someone. He knows that in his time and his way. He'll provide that. God knows that you're maybe struggling in this situation and you're just embarrassed. You're deeply embarrassed and you don't want to be around other people and he knows really what you're struggling with is the shame. And you need to have that shame dealt with and removed. And he wants to do that for you. In other words, in all these things, it's understanding that often the things we're praying for, the things we really want, there's something underneath that's really more important and more valuable that we're really longing for. And the Spirit is praying for those things as well. Now my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise we have. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want, we're told in Psalm 23. So he does care for our practical needs. But all of those practical needs are indicative of something deeper that he wants so much to satisfy in our soul. And so in this passage here, we're seeing that God, his presence the presence of God through his spirit. God's spirit is present in our lives and he empowers us to pray. How does it empower us? Well, certainly he's praying for us, but because he is present and he is praying, it empowers us because it reminds us that he is with us. We're not alone. And he knows us, what we really need. And even beyond that, beyond his presence and beyond his knowledge, this passage also reminds us that the presence of God's Spirit reminds us and motivates us to keep praying, even when it's discouraging, to keep praying because God cares for you deeply. Not just with you, not just knowing you, but He cares for you. And He cares for you deeply. And this is kind of a revelation for many of us because we think we're nobodies. And we think that we're not important. Who am I? I'm just, I'm just Joe Schmo. You know, what's the big deal? I'm just Jane Doe. What's the big deal? And the point is, is that according to God and according to this passage, God wants what's best for you. He wants to do good to you. And the Spirit is working and praying to bring about those good things in your life. Now look at verse 28. Let's read verse 28 together. This is one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. R.A. Torrey, who was an evangelist about a century ago, Bible teacher, he said this was a soft pillow for a weary heart or troubled mind. It's a soft pillow for a weary heart. And so in verse 28, let's read these words together. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now that's, that's a verse that a lot of us, when we became Christians, we memorize that God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That was the older translation I learned it in years and years ago. God's working everything out for good. And I remember dear Kay Henson, who uh, passed away several years ago. She was like the, the spiritual grandmother of the church in many ways. And Kay loved the Lord and loved everybody that came here and was such a constant encouragement to walk with Christ and such a godly example of what that meant. One time I remember mentioning this verse and talking about it in a setting, and she came up to me afterwards. And I think she had torn the page or photocopied it out of our daily bread or some other devotional book like that. And it was a story. She said, you should read this story, Pastor. And it was a story of a guy talking about this verse, and he said, it was a lot like when I watched my wife bake a chocolate cake. I've told this story a bunch of times. You've heard it before too. But he says, I sat there in the kitchen. I watched my wife make my favorite chocolate cake. And I was just curious what it went into it. And I saw her put it in the mixing bowl. You know, there's so much flour and there was some salt and there was some baking powder. And then she got out, you know, the baker's chocolate. And I wanted to taste what that was like. You know, unsweetened cocoa. And, you know, then throw some eggs in. And eggs are okay, but they're kind of like that too. And all this stuff is mixed, and she mixed it all together, and then she put it in the pans, and then the pans were stuck in the oven and, you know, this temperature for so long. And then she pulled them out, and she's putting the toothpicks in and doing all that kinds of stuff. And then she gets the cakes out of the pans, and they cool. And then she whipped up the icing, and she just slathered that whole thing and cemented it together with the rich, deep chocolate icing. And there it was, the pinnacle, the piece of resistance in the, the dinner that night. And so there it was. And, and he ate it. It was delicious. His point was this, is that God takes all the events of our lives, the good and the bad, the sour and the sweet, the painful and the pleasant, all the things of our lives and he mixes them together in the right proportion because he has a purpose for our lives and because we love him and he loves us, he's orchestrating all these things together to make something good. Now this is not saying that we're just gonna, you know, he's gonna overwhelm our lives so that they're all syrupy sweet and every, nothing ever goes bad for Christians. No, we're in the middle of this life and sometimes we go through a bitter patch and sometimes we go through a sweet patch and other times it's just kind of a bland patch and sometimes the temperature's really hot and sometimes it's really dry. But we go through all these experiences and God is mixing it all together for good. You see, when the Spirit is praying for you and working in your life, He's there not only to remind you that God is with you or that God even knows about you and what you really need, but God is actually working to care for you and do what is good. He deeply cares for you and wants to produce good in your life. But we have to define what is good. What does he mean by good? Well, in the verses that follow 29 and 30, the end of verse 20, he says that we're called according to his purpose. And by the way, those that love God and those who are called according to his purpose, those, are, those, are, those titles are names of believers. Those are Christians, not special people in some way. You know, maybe only a handful of folks that are here today. No, this is for everyone who's trusted Jesus Christ. They love God. 
They have been called. They've been brought into God's family on, on purpose by God's work and his choice. But then he explains what God's purpose is. What's the good thing that he's working for in our lives? In verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, those he knew about ahead of time and was aware of, he predestined them. He, he orchestrated it and designed it so this would happen. He predestined them to be conformed into the image of his son in order that he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's goal for your life, the good that he's trying to produce in your life, is to make you like Jesus. To conform you into the image of his son. That's what he's doing for you and for me. Because that's ultimately what we're really longing for. That's what we were made for. That's what Jesus died for. That's what we're longing for. That we would become more and more like Jesus. And I know we're struggling with that. A lot of us do. I know what's best for my life. I've got free choice. I can do what I want. I need more money. I need more pleasure. I need a better spouse. I need a nicer house. I need this stuff. And God is simply saying, no, what you really need is to be like my son. That's what I made you for. That's what I created you for. And all those other things, as important as they are, in the big scheme of things, they're not as relevant or as important as becoming like Jesus. I'm using your marriage to make you like Jesus. I'm using that struggle that you have with that addiction or that hurt or that trauma of your past. I'm using that to help you become like Jesus. I'm using your job to help you become like Jesus. And that neighbor who's so irritating, I'm using him to help you become like Jesus. And those snotty-nosed little children that you brought into this world, I'm using them to help you become like Jesus. I'm using all these things. I'm using all these things to help you become like Jesus. That's his plan. That's what this idea of foreknowledge and predestination is. Predestination. God's got this plan to make us like his son, Jesus. That we be conformed to his image. And he says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. He's like the pioneer of those who raised, are raised from the dead. He's, he's the one that came out of the tomb first. And that's your hope and that's my hope because we've trusted in Christ. And then in verse 30, he, he unpacks it even more. And what he's simply saying here, it's like God has laid down these rails that a train runs on. And, and the train never comes off the track. This is the path. This is the, this is the, the track that every Christian, every person has put their trust in Christ. This is the, the path they're on. And this is the, here's the destination. And you'll never miss the destination. Because he says, those whom he predestined, he called them. He made sure they got saved. And those whom he called, he also justified. He declared them right in his sight. He forgave them of their sin and accepted them into God's family. He justified them. They're now reconciled to God. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He makes them like the resurrected Jesus. In this life, God's plan is that you and I become like Jesus in our character, in our speech, and our actions. The fruit of the Spirit, that's the character of Jesus, becomes evident in, in my life and your life. But the day is going to come that even these broken down, battered bodies being demolished by sin and the curse and death and disease, these own bodies are going to be resurrected too. And they will be conformed 
to the glorious image of Jesus Christ. That's the good God is working for. You may think your good is, I've got to marry the most handsome person I know and he's always going to serve me. That's not God's good, good for you or his goal for you. You may say, my career is that I just climb the ladder and I become so successful and I earn so much and I have so much authority and power and respect of others. And that's, you can give yourself to those goals, but that's not God's goal for you. I just want to be happy. And it's not wrong to be happy, but that's not necessarily God's goal for you. It's to become like his son, Jesus. God is using all these things to make us like his son. And the presence of the Spirit of God who is praying for you and for me that these things will happen in your life and in my life, His presence there reminds us that God is with us. You're not alone. And God knows you. Nothing's hidden from Him. And He cares deeply for you because He wants to make you like the most perfect, beautiful person in the entire universe. His Son, Jesus. That's pretty on good, isn't it? To become like Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And so when I think about the Spirit being inside of me and praying, it just really encourages me in a very profound way to keep praying and not doubt. To keep praying and not think that my prayer doesn't matter or it doesn't work or it's not worth it or God doesn't care because that's not true. He does care. He cares for me deeply because he's making me like Jesus. And knowing that he's with me and knowing that he knows all about me, that doesn't frighten me in prayer. It actually encourages me to keep praying, knowing that he will guide me in how to pray in a way that truly honors him. Because the Spirit's praying. Even when I pray for the wrong stuff, the wrong way, the Spirit is praying and doing what's right. So that's why when you leave today and you get that pink card or that blue card, you really need to pray for that person because God's plan is that they become like Jesus. And you should be praying for the person who's praying for you that they would not forget, that they would not lose the card, but that they would keep praying for you because that's what you want in your life, to keep praying. Keep praying for your big three. Keep praying for our country. Oh, man, our leaders need it. Don't you know? They really do need help. They just make a mess of things themselves. They all do. Both sides of the aisle. They desperately need our prayers. And we need to pray. Because there's a God who's with us. There's a God who knows us. There's a God who cares deeply for us. And how do I know that? Because His Holy Spirit lives inside of me and you if you're a child of God. That's why I should pray and that's why you need to pray too. God's on the move, friends. Don't miss out. You won't if you pray. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for your help and for your, your power and your presence in our lives. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us. And I thank you that your presence really is the guarantee that you're there that you're not aloof from us and our suffering, that you really do know all about us, not from a distance, but by firsthand experience what we really need and who we really are. And Lord, you know also, your presence also just really encourages us because you care for us so deeply.
because you're making us like Jesus. Help us, Lord. So I ask and pray today for myself and for my friends who are here today. I'm asking that, Lord, you would help us to keep praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus who gave us the Spirit. Amen.